this week, why are the youths so pissed off? But first, I'm Quinn Emmett, and this is Important Not Important, science for people who give a shit. Hit subscribe right now to get this newsletter and my conversations with the world's smartest people every single week. You can find the email version and links to everything at importantnotimportant.com or in your show notes. And now for today's big question. The course of history is the story of angry, righteous, relatively inexperienced youth shouting at their elders to just do something. Damn it. Considering eras like World War I, World War II, Vietnam, the Cold War, various nuclear scares and other wars around the world, it would seem arguable to claim that the 2023 version of this generational quarrel is more destructive and precarious than the ones that came before it. But, and I know, I get it, but this time is different. You see, Moms of Liberty and other fascists have tried for so fucking hard to ban books so the youths don't learn our fullest history. But here's the thing. Their game is already lost. The youths are online all day, every day. The accumulation of the world's history and knowledge and misinformation is available to them anytime, any place, instantly. Yeah, of course, books are vitally important. Reading real books is absolutely bedrock table stakes. Fuck those guys. Reading is no longer the only game in town. We've never been more connected or disconnected in person. No generation of youths, not you, not me, certainly not our parents, have never been more connected, followed, liked, tracked, to and by one another, and to us, to world events, to world history, and to their parents, regretfully. The youths have never, no one has ever, been more exposed, second by second, to people and moments thousands of miles away. World events which were so relatively calm, at least in the global north and west, for the decades before their birth, and which seem to be fracturing and compounding now, day after day, live. We tell these kids that the world has never been safer, and it's true. But then they look at us and demand to know why we're so hell-bent on throwing that all away. These are the norms of the youth among us. It's all they know. They're scared and exhausted, distrustful and battered, and absolutely goddamn furious. We can and must change those norms. My kids are all under 10 like billions of others. They don't know a world without mobile phones and GPS, electric cars, 3D printing, a pandemic, and more. They don't know a world without K-pop or a black president, without insurrection, without Elon Musk, without microplastics. We have the opportunity right now to decide that the world our newest members will participate in will be intentionally and fundamentally different, a clear break from the ones of the past. We have the opportunity to force a whole-of-society deliberative and fundamental shift to a forward-looking approach to our problems and opportunities, grounded in what is best for children first. Nearly half of the people of Gaza were born after I left Israel. Seventeen years ago, the last year a Palestinian election was held, I was on my way back to the U.S. after a year living and working on a kibbutz in Israel. After traveling through Egypt and Jordan, Lebanon, and the West Bank, experiencing cultures and hospitality, the variety and likes of which I could have never imagined. Some backstory. I am an atheist religious studies major who wrote my thesis on the history of religious warfare. 
I went to Israel to live and work alongside the same Jewish family my parents lived with throughout the Yom Kippur War, but also to get firsthand experience living among a few of the world's oldest cultures and history. I studied religion and faith not because I wanted to choose one for myself, never did, but because it seemed like political science and history didn't each go quite go deep enough in an effort to understand why people and groups do what they do. So this is all to say I have the barest understanding from a close distance of the vast history of this land and these peoples, but have absolutely no answers to give other than to beg that no more children suffer. What has happened this month, nearly 80 years after the last concentration camp was liberated, is a crime against humanity. That we are capable of what Hamas did and continues to do should make the world stop spinning. That we are capable, after so many wars and bloodshed, to so confidently talk about wiping out a people, much less two million of whom live in abject forced poverty. It's a horror to anyone who has lived through any part of history. So it's funerals all the way down for those Israelis, children and grandparents and entire fucking families living closest to Gaza who were murdered, who were more likely to be those dedicated to uh, watching the border or freeing Gaza people. Two or three state solution, however much Netanyahu's belligerent ultra-nationalist policies have made those solutions seem increasingly impossible, especially now. And it's funerals all the way down for the Gaza people who have nothing who are represented these 17 years only by Hamas, who have suffered the wrath of Israel's U.S.-made missiles in the days since, and who watch troops mass along the tiny, treacherous border. Look, at their safest, children there and here and Ukraine and in Russia and elsewhere are subject to a never-ending video feed of the world being pulled apart in more directions than you and I ever experienced at that age, or at all. America's fighting Iran and Russia and China from a distance on seemingly every economic and military front, save for a directly adjacent one, for now. Decisions made and lines drawn in the Middle Ages, in the 20s, in the 50s, and even later, when we carved up the ancient world across religions and cultures and bloodlines, they continue to haunt us. That we are capable of all of these things after so long, after making so much progress, knowing the world is watching live this time, we are setting up our children for a more deadly world than we experienced brings me no optimism. So let's talk for a moment about optimism. Certain venture capitalists uh, wrote pretty insane optimism manifestos last week. You can find it. They decried the oppressive bonds of trust and safety and social responsibility and quoted a document about futurism, which is a, actually a proto-fascist test lays plans to destroy museums, libraries, and feminism. It's not optimism, techno or otherwise. It's not empirically driven, as claimed. It's bullshit. Empirical data will tell you we have constructed a world where technology keeps changing the world, building fortunes overnight and leaving billions behind. Where markets drive incredible innovation, but entirely free ones have hurt many, many people. Where real-world economic inequalities persist where we've raped our ecosystems for two-day shipping, where we still fight wars and hunger and malaria and TB and racism and monopolies as we build electric planes and genomic sequencing and data centers as the brains behind all of it, knocking out those breathless weekly headlines like, are longevity stocks the next big thing? On the other hand, I do have hope. I believe we are fighting the long defeat. 
I'm wholly committed to rewriting the world's power systems, literally and figuratively, to benefit the most people, and especially the purposefully disadvantaged and marginalized, beginning with children. Truly, what the hell did they do to deserve any of this? Because our greatest real-world gains over this last half-century, the ones that have benefited the most people, have not come only because of optimism and technology and being risk-averse, but because a huge diverse collective of shit-givers has applied old and new technology, but also hundreds of years of soft science, sociology, anthropology, religious studies, political science, and empathy to bring billions out of wholesale poverty. This despite lingering energy poverty, despite eliminating diseases, despite vaccine hesitancy, despite feeding so many more because of and despite the many pros and cons of pesticides, fertilizers. We invented and scaled factories and plastic, not just because of optimism, but to make helmets and wires and goggles for World War II, to can and preserve food for longer, to deliver disaster relief supplies, we also understand now the costs we never paid for their production and use. Cars, planes, leaf blowers, chemo, antibiotics, batteries, technology our great-grandparents wouldn't recognize that power our lives with enormous trade-offs. There are very few metaphorical and literal free lunches, especially in America. We, and especially the youths, are newly aware of, if not agreed upon, nearly every cost. But because of incumbents, vested interests, and worshipping at the altar of GDP and rates of return, technology at whatever cost, we are loath to calculate or pay them, much less invent new systems to balance out the ratio itself. Hey everyone, it's Quinn, your host and the founder of Important Not Important. I'd like to take a quick minute to tell you about the INI or any, whatever we're calling it these days, membership and community. It's a gathering place really for our most dedicated shit-givers, a place to connect and learn from one another and to have access to me outside of the newsletter and this podcast. We started it last year, and it's grown to hundreds of shit-givers from all kinds, from around the globe. I'm talking about teachers and investors, students, electricians, journalists, artists, scientists, and policymakers, and, and more. Members get exclusive access to our daily news homepage, which is very cool, and to much more top-of-mind weekly articles, research and tools that you can use and to stay ahead of the game, member-sourced action steps, twice-monthly book and culture recommendations that have nothing to do with the end of the world, virtual events, and of course, the membership Slack channel. Look, so many people come to us asking, what can I do? And we think we do a pretty good job of answering that question and providing context for the answer. But the best answers and the best perspective really come from the community, a wide-ranging community, and we would love for you to be a part of it, to feel supported yourself, and to contribute to discussions and actions alike. And of course, by becoming a member, you're directly supporting our work here and ensuring that we get to keep doing it. So if you'd like to learn more, head to importantnotimportant.com. And if you're already a reader, you can just hit the upgrade button at the top. If you're not, go ahead and subscribe for free and you'll see the option to become a member at whatever level 
works best for you. And as always, you can always find the link to become a member right in your show notes. So thanks for listening. And as always, thanks for giving a shit. Back to the show. The cost-benefit analysis of not grounding every decision and what's best for the kids right now in the real world means we have what we have now, a world that has come so, so far, but is polluted, again, literally and figuratively, with the same perverse incentives of the past. It means a present stewarded by, sure, generations with more experience, but almost categorically by people less incentivized to renovate the systems that provide our most basic necessities, mostly because they have fewer years left on this rock, fewer years in need of those necessities, fewer years to profit from their efforts. And look, many things can be true at once, which should just be the name of this whole podcast. But while your experience is valuable, it does not justify intentionally arresting the development of future generations. So maybe you're like that VC having made billions, billions, building tools and funding services and apps and crypto. And you really, really, really believe in AI. Guess what? I do too, but not at the expense of everything else that we already have to deal with and know how to deal with, and certainly not at the expense of trust and safety. In the end, it's our choice from soup to nuts, how we do or do not pursue and deploy technologies and all of the many gray areas in between, from carbon removal to AI tutors. It's entirely possible, in the right hands, with the right intentions, with a social responsibility to those alive now and those to come, that AI will help treat and cure many legacy diseases. That it could help manage a very smart two-way grid. That billions of children, and especially girls, will have access to educational tools, to personalized tutors on demand. We have no idea, none, how wonderful such a world can be. We should imagine it and then pursue it and make last century's gains look like child's play. But we also have to minimize harm at scale because, forget air pollution and hunger and land use for a moment, AI and biotech are like nothing else that's ever scaled before. We simply know too much now to ignore what we have to do and what we can do now. We don't get to blissfully ignore the youth screaming at us to do the right thing because you know and they know what's really going down here. And that's the point here. Look, I'm more acutely aware of how difficult fertility and pregnancies and deliveries are than I would like to be. But on the other hand, I also have a lifetime of gratitude and empathy. I've only recently learned, though, just how unique we are among animals, even primates, for being relatively terrible relatively terrible at reproduction and giving birth. Now, that's for a variety of ridiculous evolutionary reasons, we think, but mostly because of our big brains. Brains formed inside uh, partially formed skulls, skulls that have to fit through a very narrow exit route and often do not, and so require many helping hands and sometimes even perilous surgery that sometimes doesn't even work out. Those are the same celebrated brains that made fire and trains and the bomb and mRNA vaccines, brains that make today, on the whole, relatively richer and safer than at almost any moment in the history of the universe, as far as we know. But they're brains that are at risk from the moment they try to exit through the gift shop. Giving birth is so ridiculously difficult for humans that we, 
alongside only our cousins, the bonobos, invented and require gynecology as a discipline, something apes and snakes and kangaroos do not apparently need. That is the technology upon which we have persevered. We make and have babies only, despite all of our gains and all of our wisdom of how we won them, to still make life unnecessarily difficult from the start. From the air they breathe, indoor and outdoor, to the water they drink, and the food they suckle and later eat, and those are just the basics. So yeah, life expectancy for kids is way, way, way up over the last hundred years. It's incredible. But how equally? Why is America dead last among wealthy countries for maternal health? Where are the measles and TB back? Do you realize kids are aware of all of this? Did you have any idea at this age? All of this now, in 2023, at age 40, almost 41, as I teeter on the precipice of 20 feels like a long time ago, and not so long ago, what the hell, it helps me understand why the youth are so furious and steadfast, so disillusioned with us. They came screaming out of somebody's vagina recently, only to be handed an iPhone and discover eventually, some way earlier than others, how complex we make the simple things, the necessary things, and how much greed drives it all. Maybe their ideals are so simple because their needs are too, and it's so clear to them that if we, the incumbents, can't guarantee even those, what the fuck are we good for? Maybe their ideals are held so righteously because they're the first generation to bear witness from the earliest possible age what it's like to be two or five or 10 or 15 anywhere around the world, on demand, streaming, live, to see reels and TikToks of a hospital bombed, and to ask not only who did this, but also how did we get to a place where this is even something that's remotely possible? What the fuck are you adults doing? Of course, over time, they'll learn, like I did and you did and we all do, that many of society's problems are indeed more complicated than just air, water, and food, where injustices and injuries have festered and inflamed for hundreds and thousands of years, prompting war and slaughter, new kinds of government, and back, and new borders, and back, and what these and other wars often boil down to, and boil over because of, is a shared entangled history over a sense of place, over grievances and crimes real and heinous, and to those imagined to be even more so. And especially in coming years, by the way, yeah, air, food, and water. I spend so much time thinking about and working to lift up other people's kids, and I'm just so imperfect at it. I stand on the shoulders of <laughs> real-life saints, trying to hoover up wisdom and best practices where I can. But I always try to bring myself back to the question of, of the things children need, what do my kids have that these kids do not? It's a version of my favorite question. How can I help? And I try to set the place for that, knowing that kids can experience electric cars, RSV vaccines, lunch debt, short-term videos of spaceships and war-torn Yemen, and yeah, threats for even supporting their trans friends, all in the same day, really radicalizes me. They know everything. They shouldn't have to, but they do. You and I read things in textbooks frozen in time and wrote them down in our trapper keepers. We very occasionally read the newspaper and experienced our local comings and goings. But we didn't experience the wider world live. We had so many fewer examples to compare ourselves and our situations to, for better or worse, to empathize with. We had more of a shared truth then, however horrifically flawed, because you could count the number of TV channels on both hands. This is what kids today know. The Europe our grandparents fought for, our parents vacationed in and brought home wine from, and we watched localized small-town crime shows of, 
is facing a far different climate future than the setting for any of those. That Europe is gone. They know that kids their age in China experience an entirely different internet than they do. That those same kids may eventually draw us into a war over a tiny island nation that produces the world's most vital semiconductor chips. They know China is aging fast. They know the Belt and Road cost too much. They know Chinese real estate has collapsed. But also that since they were born, China's influence and military has evolved to often surpass ours. These kids know climate change has begun moving faster. That emissions may peak soon, but that's not enough. But also that we have basically every technology we need to actually slow it down. They know Africa and India will dominate the next century, but that they will industrialize with fossil fuels, specifically because Western countries refuse to cover the costs of clean energy development. They know the Brazilian people re-elected Lula and perhaps saved their slash our most precious rainforest, and that enormous damage has already been done and may not be undoable. They're already using AI in and out of the classroom to write stories and code to draw worlds and design business plans faster than we could throw away America Online CD-ROMs. And they're 100% certain our leadership, our gerontocracy, one of the oldest in the world, is incapable of regulating any of it. There are nine-year-olds who didn't experience a black president, but did experience an insurrection who are learning about civics when 200 members of the majority party in the House voted three times for an insurrectionist to lead them last week. They were born into a world of incredible infrastructure, however much it's built, for our parents' climate. This is from last week's pod. A quote, I think that fundamentally this is not about averting catastrophe. This is not, oh no, our infrastructural systems are all going to be destroyed by climate change. It's, we actually have the opportunity to do the things that our ancestors did for us, which is to leave amazing, resilient, inexpensive, sustainable infrastructural systems for the people who come after us. And that is a human universal, that everyone wants their kids or the people around them to have lives that are as good as they did or better. And that is from last week's uh, podcast, our guest, Deb. Look, kids deserve to live in a world where urban planning is reimagined to account for increasing heat and flooding, where e-bikes are prioritized over cars and rural America and red line neighborhoods, cities are just as connected to a new grid and to the internet as everyone else. They deserve to live in a world where life expectancy is going up, not down. We thought Lunchables were awesome. They know better, even if it's all their family can afford. They deserve to live in a world where it's transparently and proactively clear, where it's affordable and safe to live and to ensure where you live, and where it's not. They deserve to live in a world where private equity and big tech are no longer allowed to decimate journalism, where we actually support the next generation of journalists. They deserve to live an entire lifetime knowing companies, banks, and governments have to disclose their emissions and climate risks. Why wouldn't they? They're sick of politics and divisive, self-interested lifer politicians, of corruption, of policy that doesn't actually improve their lives. They do not approve of mass bloodshed. They want stricter gun laws. They can snap their friends' videos of their representatives voting against those. They know. I didn't know how well the U.S. fared in emissions or maternal health when I was an adolescent, nor how dry the Colorado River or California reservoirs might be, or exactly what source my power was coming from at any given moment. I had no idea what the 
air quality in Utah was like right now. I had no idea exactly how much we subsidized ethanol and fossil fuels each day. I just knew we went to war over them. Twice. The youth can check all of this for themselves right now, instantaneously. I didn't know how many nurses we needed. I didn't know where and why childcare was unaffordable outside of my own preschool, or which red states were getting government money for EVs or trialing ways to improve childcare. These kids get push alerts about all this. I had no idea how bad foods like Velveeta and most cosmetics were, nor the plastics that they came in. They can stand in the score and scan them with an app and find out exactly how bad and why. I didn't know about a child tax credit. I didn't see it come and go, certainly. On the other hand, about a, a period or a tampon tax. There are 1,750,000,000 results when they Google those words. Right now, they have access to every single tool that you and I do. They know about them earlier and they use them better and it's not even close. There's nothing we can hide from them now. Not the choices we made in the past, nor the ones we are making today. It comes down to this. Because of technology, but also archaeology and anthropology and incredible resources like Khan Academy and Crash Course, the youths know we have overcome so much as a species, as a society, that we have done enormously hard things before. Which is why they're so fucking furious we're not doing them right now. Our generation and the generations who came before us are completely out of excuses. There is nowhere to hide. The youths are watching our every move, accounting for every vote and measure and dollar spent or not. In turn, it means we have nowhere to go but up. If it's unbridled optimism you seek, find it not in technology and riches, but in the young people committed to helping one another, to protecting one another. Bathrooms, barricaded classrooms, and safe rooms on a border. And the young people who still believe in the system just enough to run for every level of office from school board to senator, who are willing a better, more equitable future into existence alongside their friends, using whatever tools they can get their bare hands on, using tools we could only have dreamed of, inventing tools only they could dream of. Here's your relevant action steps. Number one, donate to the Steve Fund to support the mental health of young people of color. Number two, volunteer with every town so youth can grow up in communities free from gun violence. Number three, get educated about being a better ally to trans and non-binary young people with a great guide in the show notes from Trevor Project. Number four, help youth be heard about their future by supporting voters of tomorrow. And last, invest in a better world for young people with Carbon Collective. That's it for this week. Thank you. Uh, got feedback, questions, opinions, Email them to us at questions at importantnotimportant.com. Of course, hit subscribe to get next week's issue straight to your feed or find back essays like this one. To go deeper, visit importantnotimportant.com. Thank you for being a part of our community, and thanks for giving a shit. Mm -hmm.